Welcome to Mama Talk Talks, A Different Take, a podcast where everyday people around the globe share a different take on everyday issues. I'm your host, Abi Mambo, and I'm pleased you're joining us today. Welcome. Hi, Adele. Hi, Abam. I'm super excited to have you on the show today. How are you doing? Same here. I am great. How are you? I'm good. We've been trying to schedule this for a long time and you're just quite busy. Well, yes, recently with the COVID situations, it's a bit chaotic, I have to say. I know. Your job is hectic, I know. So we'll get into that in, in a little bit. But first, introduce yourself to our listeners. Sure. Hi, everybody. Um, thank you for, for hearing this podcast. And my name is Adele. Um, a bit of a background. I am a... I'm from Hong Kong, I grew up in Hong Kong, studied in Hong Kong, and I went to Canada and then work in different countries. And my current job is a chief of staff of a pharmaceutical company. So and it's a regional role, so it's a lot of night call. So that's my official name. Well, thanks, Adele. I'm really excited to have you here. So as you know, Mama Tok Tok is all about introducing diverse perspectives on everyday issues from everyday people into discourse. And so one of the things that's very thrilling for me about this, you're the first um, person from Hong Kong of Chinese descent on the show. So I'm really excited about that because, again, it's about really pushing the international boundaries and bringing these different perspectives to the table. So thank you for joining us. Thank you. So you started by just talking about COVID-19. So how are you doing? How is it affecting your life, your family, all of that right now? Well, I have to say probably a lot of people, you know, I've been hearing, especially at work, I've been hearing some of the people, they talk about resilience, you know, or maybe some countries we, where, where the lockdown is quite serious and they said, some of the people, they are having mental issues. And I have to say, to be honest, I there's actually quite a pleasant experience for me so far. As you may be aware, I, I have a, a really small baby. Yes. Um, she's now seven months, Abella. Already? Um, so I... Yeah, yeah, already. So I got a chance in the past several months, really stay home, you know, wake up together with her, play with her in the in the daytime and my recovery break, you know, and my daytime is just to play with the baby. And the best part of me is I don't need to spend time dressing up and doing cosmetics. So I thought time saved and I can spend more time with the baby. So why oh not? Oh my God. Does it feel like an extended maternity leave or not Absolutely. Quite? Absolutely. Yes. <laughs> Awesome. And I have to say, this is perhaps the second time in the entire time I've known you in almost two and a half years. This is only the second time I've seen you without makeup. Oh, yes. <laughs> You're always dressed True. in the heels, looking fabulous. And you look fabulous yeah. now. It's just a different version of you. And I'm finding out with a lot of people that were just kind of just, you know, not dressing up and you probably have never seen my hair like this yeah um, yeah conroe so COVID 19 and lockdown or in singapore circuit breaker is really just i think causing a lot of us to just get back to basics yes absolutely and then you'll be aware in your wardrobe actually do you need that and a bum um, do you really need that many dresses or shoes that's a good question to ask ourselves I indeed know, <laughs> i know Adele, but see the thing is I rotate the same four outfits. This is my confession. Because they're so <laughs> comfortable, right? And you're absolutely right. I started asking myself the question, if I only wear these four rotation, like why do I have all these clothes? <laughs> Who am I dressing for, right? Because if I was dressing yes. for me, I'd be wearing my clothes. So I've had a lot yeah. of self-reflection about that. Same. And, um, same. So what has that been like for you? What have you been reflecting on? I did ask myself, you know, actually, I don't really like online or shopping itself. I don't like, although I like having new clothes, but I do not like to spend time shopping for it. And my reflection is, you know, with the COVID, I actually save a lot of time. I don't need to browse online and look for shoes and clothes. Yeah. Um, so that's a good realization. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, it's just been, I spent a lot of time just thinking about many different things and when we get out of this, mm. like, how do I show up in the world again? Um, yeah. On a previous podcast, I was sharing with the guest that one of my very good friends, yeah. she wakes up in the morning and um, when she takes a shower, she puts on lipstick and earrings. 
Because for her, oh. like she's dressing for herself, right? It's so important for her to feel good. And that's how she feels good. And I was yeah. looking at her going, so I'm just a hot mess, right? When I can make it out of pajamas, thank God. <laughs> <laughs> I roll out of bed, I get Bailey ready, and then I just grind and it's just work. And if I remember to get out of pajamas, yeah. you know, good thing. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. But I think calming my hair is something that makes me feel good. So I think a similar, but you know, not to the same extent, but at least I calm my hair as you may be <laughs> your hair looks fabulous so i know while i have you and i feel very lucky to have you because you know being a first-time mom i know it's not the easiest thing and your job is quite hectic but i do want to cover a number of things with you one of them is just around you gave a phenomenal talk last year around international women's day i think it was you're talking about the idea of what it was like for you as a girl child growing up in hong kong And a huge part of what I care about from an inclusion and diversity perspective is women in the workplace. So tell us a little bit about what it was like growing up as a kid in Hong Kong, what you understood to be, what you understood it to mean to be a girl and a young woman and how did that shape your career to date? So yeah, that is actually have been a, a very core part of me. And I have to say a very deep reflection journey for years and therefore, last year, you're right, I gave a speech about it. And, and maybe just a highlight of what I talk about during that speech is I'm from Hong Kong. I have to say, maybe for those who are listening from Hong Kong, you may not be resonating. But if you are coming from a more traditional conservative family, that's where I see it's where the resonation is. So my family, basically, it's a good, proper family, you know, but my father has always seen the values of a son. Mm. but not a girl's. So growing up as a girl, basically my father would expect me to, you know, take care of the family, find a good or rich husband. Yeah. And I don't need to be smart. I don't need to be intelligent. What I need to be, make sure I know how to take good care of people. Yeah. Um, which I like it. I think it's part of me that I enjoy making sure, you know, family are well. But I realized I entered the workforce the part of me always want to make sure others are happy. It's becoming a pleaser. I become a pleaser to the extent I ask myself, who am I and why am I here? So this whole idea, you know, you sound like you could have grown up African because a lot of people on the African continent will hear this and it'll resonate because I think there was a generation, perhaps before mine, like my mom's generation, and to some extent mine, where... The girl child was not as prized as the son. Exactly. In families where there was not enough money to go around and you have to choose who to educate the boys, not the girl. Yes. Yes. It's a resource allocation question. Yes. You sound so corporate. It's a resource allocation (laughs) question. (laughs) It is. (laughs) So going back then to your childhood, you touched on a piece about people pleasing. As you came up then through school, how did that shape the way you engaged with, with peers and ultimately, um, when you started looking for work, shape which path you took? Or did you kind of have a mindset of, I'm going to go, I'm going to go, whether I'm a girl child or not? Well, I have to say, at school, when I was still at school, I understand there is a piece of me inside. There, is, there are a lot of internal struggle within self, but I don't know what it is. Oh, now I you know, I become much older. Then I recognize this, the internal voices go back to the identity. I recognize the identity that my parent has given me as a girl is to comply, to please, to make sure people are around. But actually, as I grew up a little bit, then, then I realized part of the true side of me is I also enjoy to have me as a person to yeah. be present yeah. with the others. And that struggle, it takes me many years probably even after I graduated from university, then it came really to the surface. And it only really hits me when I go to work in a corporate. And a bit of other background is that before I go working in a corporate, I was an entrepreneur. And as an entrepreneur, and I have my own team, and I have 21 uh, people in my organizations. And usually what happens is as a boss, then people would just ask me and I just give commands and just execute this and that, you know, yeah. because I, I'm the one to pay them, right? <laughs> but then the biggest shock, well, okay, go back to the entrepreneur though not entering the shop part. Still as an entrepreneur, although I was a boss, 
but I was a pleasing boss. Mm. What I care about is, am I paying enough for the people who work for me? If I understand some of my teammates who you know, who work extra hard. And I feel, I almost feel bad for them. But bear in mind, for that many years that I run my own company, I never really take any day off, even on a Saturday or Sunday. So I took on a lot um, because, go back to the point, um, I'm told that I need to make sure people around me are happy. Yeah. Um, so that, I think, is a good quality. But I did not strike a good balance. Entering the workforce is the worst <laughs> And when I say the worst is as I enter a, a corporate, um, as you can imagine, um, at the at the office there are, you know, these local CEO or general manager. Yeah. Every decision you you made, actually, you never made a decision. So you would just you know present, put everything nicely in a PowerPoint, present to the general manager, and. And the general manager may not know everything, yeah. but she has or he has every right to question and challenge everything. Um, then then it, it really struck me because I thought, you know what? If I continue to please you, that means I don't have a voice. Yes. But if I don't please you, then then I don't know who am I. You know, there is a lot of you know internal struggle that really surfaced as I first enter a corporate. You know, and I want to come back to this, but you've touched on something so incredibly important, voice. Part of yes. your background, which you haven't mentioned, is that you were a speech therapist. I am. Right? Yes, indeed. Yes. And so help me understand then the connection between just feeling powerless or voiceless because you didn't quite no, should you assert yourself or should you be a people pleaser? And how that actually ties into speech? Because I think we think about speech purely as the words that come out of your mouth. But I've always thought about yeah. speech as going a level deeper. It's not just the words that come out of your mouth. It's the person behind the words coming yes. out of your mouth, right? Yes, so then yes, the, you're speech right. Therapies, how do you connect those things, you know, identity and speech? Yeah, yeah, you touch on a, a a topic where it's really caught in my heart. So, um, so just so you know, I have been volunteer, um, you know, just to teach people in, on public speaking, and a specific area that I touch on is about voice. And when you're right, when people think about voice, it's just you know what you're hearing, the sound waves. But as a speech pathologist, what I care about is the true voice from within. And when I say from within, it has to be, it has to be, what do you represent? What is your belief? Mm. And finding out that beliefs uh, may take many years. But the moment you find that beliefs and the underlying thoughts within you, you would really find your true voice. And as a well, when I practice as speech pathologist, I may not really do a lot of things, but when I counsel or, or coach a lot of my students, a lot of the work, it goes back to what do you believe in? And how do we make sure whatever speech you are conveying or whatever message you are conveying, you always go back to what do you believe in and what is the principles? And when you get to the consistent message of all this messaging, the true voice really stands. Yeah, yeah. When I hear you and I think back to your speech last year, what made it yeah. so phenomenal was the words that you were speaking were powerful, but the life force behind those words is what really gave them their power, right? You talked about a lot of things and a lot of them were stereotypes we're addressing about Asians, right? So we'll, yes. we'll lean into that a little bit. You talked about height. You talked about size. <laughs> you talked about being a woman. You talked about being petite. Talk to, yeah. talk, talk to us about just all those different things and all those different potential barriers. Because when, when I heard you talk, I was thinking Adele is really looking to address bias, but also just self-limiting beliefs. So as we transitioned into to the corporate world, Talk to me a little bit about how all those things were made manifest and all the quote-unquote Asian stereotypes, how they came to play out for you. Yeah, um, so yes. Well, this is a core theme of me. And, and again, maybe I was an entrepreneur. The pairs of eyes of, of an entrepreneur heading to a corporate is very 
fascinating. <laughs> when I say fascinating, it's, it's, it's this. So as an entrepreneur, um, you know, what I used to care as I run my own company is it's not about how I look or how I show up or who, you know, it's a bit of networking though. But what you care the most as an entrepreneur is you care your service or your products that, mm. that is going to help to deliver to the ultimate customer. Now, this winning formula may not really work in a corporate. And this is where the wake-up call comes. The moment when I walk in a corporate, the company that I work in is a great company, very diverse. There are a lot of different um, you know, cultural background. I would never forget. So the company sent me to the headquarter in London. I would never, ever forget the first day when I enter the office. I dress up, you know, I wear, as just so for those people who haven't met me, I am 149cm tall, not even five feet, <laughs> super short. <laughs> so what I do is I wear the highest heel that I could possibly bear. And I walk and look nice and, you know, elegant, walk into the office. The moment when I look around on the floor, it's, oh my God, I was like, how come Everybody walk with their open shoulders, their head tilted upwards. And when you talk to them, you, you, you almost feel like you're talking to somebody standing at the stage. You know, they're always taller, bigger, yeah. more alpha than you. But this is not an Asian type of behaving as an Asian woman. The way that I was brought up is they would, my teachers or their parent, they would think as a girl, you know, you, you better close your shoulder, you, you know, you close your body so that you give a signal to people that you're humble, you're listening, you're complying. The moment when I look at all those for type on the shoulder yeah. and they walk around as if, you know, this is their stage forever, I freak out. I freak out so badly. And that's one. I think the other thing that really caught me, it's networking. Now, networking yeah. is where I struggle a lot. As you know, a very short girl go to networking. <laughs> the issues is this, you know, and, and imagine you are, you are now in a networking event. Everybody would carry a glass of wine, walk around, and they would pretend that, you know, you know somebody, but in fact, you know, you actually really don't know, therefore you go for networking, right? But people <laughs> would pretend that you know somebody, and you look for a group where there seems to have an opening, then you slide yourself in. Yes. And then often the topics are not funny, but people would exaggerate their laughters <laughs> so that they give an impression that, you know, you're really enjoying yourself, your confidence. Yes. But again, that go back to the Asian thing. Asian don't laugh out loud like that. Yes. You know, and then, okay. Then a short girl as an Asian go to those networking. What happened is I carried a glass of wine. What happened is I gradually feel there are some water droplets fallen onto my face. <laughs> and you know why? That is because a lot of people, like those of you who are listening now, you are much more taller than I. And as you speak at that altitude, you're so tall that I can only receive your saliva falling onto my face or my glass of wine. I can't listen to you because you're really tall. And in addition, English is really not my native language. Wow. In such a really noisy environment, a lot of time I struggle to listen. So these are some of the issues or barriers that as a short girl and Asian cultural background that, that I'm facing. I have always felt very awkward with small talk, right? Which is why I struggle yeah. with networking. But I've never heard anyone break it down <laughs> the way that you have. And it's so true. It's a very awkward experience, right? You go to this after work thing, you pick up a glass of whatever, you look around, you try to find a group that has an opening, you hope yeah. that you find someone that you know, then eventually you fit yourself in there and then you try to pick up the conversation and the yeah. awkward laughter and then you're trying to get a word in but you don't know if you're talking too much it's just it's a lot it's a lot but i've never heard anyone describe it the way you, you do and i'm talking about superficial things what, what you're picking up on is people dynamics right do you it think is. Is. anyone ever noticed that you were quiet 
or maybe feeling out of place and drew you into the conversation? I hope there are more of these. The answer is in an external networking event, I seldom see people doing so. Mm. And I guess the reason is this. Probably majority of the people who go for networking may feel the same, yeah. but they do not want to show this. And therefore, you almost overcompensate of what you're feeling, which is your insecure, your urge or your need to look for a community where your sense of belonging is then when everybody is on the same boat, it's actually difficult to pull the hat of um, being empathetic or, or having a helping hand. Yeah. You know, you just really given me something to think about. The next networking event that I'm at, which will be who knows when, post-coronavirus here. That's true. <laughs> to just be much more cognizant about who's not talking, yeah. right? Because yeah. these things are quite difficult when you have someone who's like you were, from a different town, from a different country, from a different continent, your context was entirely different. And you talk about altitude. I have never thought about that, <laughs> right? I've just never thought about the difference between height and how that impacts conversation. But that's what's so dynamic about having people like you on the show is to really push us to think about how other people see the world. So in, in that experience, that, that was just one thing, that was networking. How did you yeah. find getting culturated? So when you started to notice different things, when people went to lunch, how they socialized, what time they came to the office, what time they left, what were some of the cultural norms you noticed that were completely different from yours? Yeah, lunch is a, just a thing. Now, as an Asian, so people always laugh at Asians. Like they would say, hey, go go to your noodle shop. Um, you know, where is your noodles shop? So that's what people always notice that I, I love soup and noodles. As I work in London, hardly can I find any hot thing. Yes, you may have soup, but that's, I won't call those soup because those are you know, not hot in our standard, okay? Yeah. Then culturally, the thing is lunchtime. As an Asian, there is a tendency that we want to make sure we we show we are a group of social animals in a way, yeah. where you go out, you have lunch together, and especially, for example, at school, if you don't go out with a group of friends to have lunch together with, you would be perceived as a person who don't have a good social life. Mm, mm -hmm, then mm -hmm. this context, I have to say, is something that is not happening as I work in London, for example. Okay. At lunchtime, what everybody do is like they would run to the sandwich shop. Number one, the sandwich is really not hot, okay? <laughs> then then they, would, they would just quickly bring the sandwich back to the desk. Yep. So people would rather look at the computer desk your desk or your computer, you know, then eat by themselves and not talking to others. And the, the interesting thing is they would try to avoid eye contact, especially at lunchtime, yeah. because they almost want to secure this is the me time, do not bother me, I have had enough of you, you know, don't bother me. That is what I'm getting from when I work in London. But I have to say, it's actually quite a good relief because finally... That is a moment that I can really take a break and go back to, I don't need to please people around me. Ah. I can have the, the time that, that I can enjoy uh, the cold sandwich that I was having. Um, you know, so. <laughs> or maybe you find warm food. <laughs> yeah. 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 Wow. So Adele, a huge part of what you do is really talk about I guess you call it conditioned social behaviors by Asians. So a lot of our listeners are, they work in a corporate environment. And even if they don't, our world is so interconnected now that we have access to the social lives of people outside our home countries and continents. So just help me understand what are some of the stereotypes about yeah. Asian women, for example, and I know I'm painting it with a brush when I say Asian women, what are some of the stereotypes that you've heard which you want to debunk as a way of yeah. educating people around, no, not all Asians are X? Because sometimes I do have the conversation around, first of all, Africa is not a country, it is a continent. Yeah. So what are some of these myths and stereotypes that are out there that you want to address? 
Yeah, thank you. And I think this is a sensitive topic. So I hope when people listen, it's hopefully not taken out of context. I think what I would like to really focus on is some of the behavior that I'm observing usually happening a lot in Asian. But I'm not saying this is a stereotype for Asian. An example uh, or the one of the behavior that I noticed is actually it almost the people that I'm observing, including myself at the beginning when I joined a corporate, is there is a default compliance in our behavior. When I say default compliance, it means you would notice that when you enter a meeting, there are big bosses, there are some people who are more experienced than you. And you know, especially for example, when I first joined the company, I do not have that industry background. I was uh, doing a job on pricing. But to be honest, I was not professional enough. I don't have enough experience nor credibility. Sitting in a meeting where the people around me are much more senior and experienced than me. You know what I do? The default compliance hit come up immediately. At that time, okay, we used pen and a book rather than, you know, using our, our notebook to type. Yes. I mean, a computer to type. But yes, I open my notebook, paper notebook. I take out the pen. And then the moment when I listened to the senior leader talk, I was frustrated. I don't know what to do. And the default compliance had come in. I just jot down notes because I thought, oh, wow, these are the senior people. They are more experienced. Let me just write down their points so that I don't miss out anything. Yep. And you know what? The more this default compliance come up, the more of the acknowledging type of behavior of mm-hmm. me show up. Meaning... I nod my head more. I keep on writing down as if I agree and accept whatever the people around me are saying. Yeah. But if you think about from a communicative behavior or function point of view, there are a lot of other functions of the communications could play. For example, can I make a comment? Even if I acknowledge something, if I agree something, yeah. I could actually make a comment and give a reason why I'm agreeing or not agreeing, or I could actually do questioning. Because a lot of times, when people who are experienced, yes, they have their credibility, but it doesn't mean that they are right all the time. Yeah. So I have a fresh pair of eyes, and I think I could actually contribute more by asking the questions in a really curious way. Mm-hmm. And the third thing I could do possibly is, you know what? I have my brain, you know, I study quite well, I have an okay intelligence. So I thought I could contribute my intelligence by constructively criticizing or or making some suggestion. And these are the things that I'm observing that Asians generally have a less tendency to do, Mm -hmm. but more of a tendency to put on the default compliance head. That's the first thing I want to call out. Yeah, so a lot of deference, you're saying. People tend to just defer... Yeah, that's a really interesting one. So in the U.S., growing up, and I did the last year of high school in the U.S., and we were always told about the model Asian, right? Got excellent grades, they were the best behaved, they didn't get in trouble. And I went to an inner city high school. And what I absolutely loved about my school was because there was no such thing as the model Asian. The valedictorian was Asian, but I tell you, we had a huge monk population, right? So because of sheer numbers, you had the gamut. The kids who got in trouble, the Asian kids who got in trouble, the ones who were smart, the ones who talked back, the ones... So at least, because we just had enough of a uh, sample size, so to speak, I was introduced to a very diverse group of quote-unquote Asian students. But when I went to law school, we had very few minority students, African-American, African-Asian, what have you. So then that's where I saw some of that stereotype Mm. kind of show up again, right? Like the model, Mm. the model Asian. Mm. But then now living in Singapore, we see everything, right? Yes. In China, it's just a society of people, like people anywhere else. I think it's important that we're talking about this and making sure that we're sharing. That whole notion of deference is something that we get fed, I don't know from who, maybe the media, I'm not sure. And so when a lot of Asians come to the workplace, there's either pressure to conform to that or if you don't yeah. conform to it people expect that you would and then when you don't it's like wait this is an odd asian yeah correct so you wanted to cover that are there any other so we've talked about deference anything yeah. else I, I think another thing would be up speaking 
I think it's an interesting that? observation. So up speaking, it's actually brought up by, by a professor of psychology in, I think it's the University of Michigan. I think the professor's name is actually called, uh, let me recall, it's, I think it's Christopher Peterson. Okay. So what the topic is about is, if you notice, up speaking is as you speak at the end of your sentence, you raise the intonation at the end so that a statement becomes sound like a question. And for example, what happened is, what I noticed is some of the people, not just Asian, but for those people who generally respect more of a hierarchy, you know, that cultural background, usually those people, as they present or as they meet uh, in a meeting with the senior leaders, what they tend to do is they notice some of the interesting thing or fact or insight. When they share this insight, they turn their insights into a question. Example would be looking at some of the data of the chart. And then I noticed one of my colleagues actually saying that, oh, I am seeing that the sales for this channel, it's increasing, isn't it? But in fact, that person is really noticing a trend of a sales pattern. Uh-huh. So in fact, what that person could have done is, oh, I noticed that in this channel is increasing putting a firm ending at the end to make it a round statement rather than up speaking and making it like a question is an area that I thought I just want to call out. And again, this goes back to the background as a speech pathologist, I do linguistic, right? Then from a linguist point of view, actually, some people, of course, they when they ask a question, genuinely, they would raise that intonation at the end. That's a genuine question. Part. Yeah. But from a linguist point of view, some people when they turn a statement into an up-speaking type of question, they actually are looking for a reassurance from people around you so that as you speak, you immediately get the people nodding because you're asking the question. This is a psychological reassurance. I did not know that. And I'm sitting here thinking, as a public speaker... That is something that is so important to know, especially when you understand what you want your audience to get from your talk or any presentation. If you're trying to educate, you can't be doing up speaking because you want people to take you as an authority on the subject. Mm -hmm. Wow, I had never heard of it. Yeah, I thought this is actually, again, calling out is some people which you are absolutely right. You use the skill well. As you speak, you actually convey your message in a powerful way. But a lot of the people, especially those who are seeking for psychological reassurance, their up-speaking is actually taking away their authority. Yeah, wow. So you know, Adele, um, (laughs) this is so interesting because sometimes you meet people and they can just sit in a room and tell you about other people, right? And yeah. the whole concept of, what is it, 70% of communication is body language or something like that, or right. non-verbal yes. communication. Yeah. That, for example, is verbal, but it's a different level of verbal, right? So you can actually Absolutely. look... And in hearing someone speak, you can tell who's not feeling comfortable or strong or safe yeah. in any given space. Yeah. What a skill. It is, it is. And go back to your, you know, the opening remark that you were making. I thought, similar to the networking example that we were talking about, maybe next time as we notice people around us are using an up-speaking way of speaking to seek for reassurance, I thought maybe something we could do better is probably we can just give them a firm eye contact mm-hmm. and nodding mm-hmm. to them. Mm-hmm. and leaning in towards them and that could help these people psychologically feel more comfortable i thought these are some of the little things um, as a human being we could offer to the people around us yeah i was gonna say i don't think this is an asian thing i think this is just people feeling your level of security in the workplace right or, or not even the workplace in general in that particular group and yes because people come in sometimes, you know, you, if you know them one-on-one, you know they know their stuff. And then they show yeah. up and they're talking in that way. Because now that you've identified it, I recognize it. But I never knew what it was. It just felt yeah. like, why is she asking that question when she knows the answer? Exactly. And exactly. So, and, and Yeah, go ahead. And to add, to, to add more color of this, is what I always notice is 
I always love observing people' behavior. And another thing similar to the up speaking is usually for in the room, if a few of the people are less secured, less confident, you would always notice that the counterpart is usually. Appearing an overly confident. So what I usually see as a picture is you would always see there is a few people. They sit down and they put one of their hand or the shoulder onto the you know the back of the chair, and then they would lean back as if they are the big boss. And they take up a and, lot of space. Yeah, they take up space, right? And then they create that alpha positioning. What happens is when you create this alpha positioning to whoever is talking to you, the human being is actually trained to be complementing with each other. Therefore, you are causing the other persons who lean forwards, who close the shoulder, who behave as if they are less confident or less secured. And I have to say, though, I see a lot of an Asian doing. The leaning forward type of actions. Yeah. So what I want to call out, especially for the people who are listening now, is you just notice next time when you enter the meeting, you ask yourself: Is your shoulder blade rolling forward or backward? Wow. That's the first question. The second question: You notice who in the meeting is leaning more forward? I have to call out. It's good as you want to engage people, you lean forward. But if you notice the people next to you are always sitting like the big boss, I would encourage you to do the same, so that it's a rebalancing of the subtle power in the air, so that it would be on the level ground. Then we can start talking. Wow! I mean, that blows my mind because again, it touches on social dynamic. You know how sometimes we sit. Talent reviews, for example, yeah. and you're discussing talent, and then amorphous things come up like this person is just more confident, or they have more stage presence, or executive yeah. presence. All of that is, to some extent, a part of what you're talking about because we've been trained that if you want to engage your audience, right, you want to lean in. It shows yes. engagement and compassion and empathy and whatever else. But I never thought about it in the way that you're saying because actually you're right. Leaning in is kind of deferential. If I think about in most parts of Asia, we're bowing or curtsying. Yes, it's a way of salutation, right? And yes, honoring and the person you, you're you greeting. Bang on, you're right. I noticed this behavior first. To be honest, when I was in Japan,、mm. I'm not saying all the Japanese would nod, but I have to say there's a tendency for them to nod their head or bow, and to the extent it almost gives. The counterpart a natural right to have a higher positional power than you. Wow, this is amazing! I love this. I did not even know <laughs> we're going to go into all this today, but I think it's here Adele to bring out all kinds of things. So help me understand that in terms of we've talked about it in the context of Asians, for example. Do you see that same dynamic play across gender lines? Yeah, I've been thinking. If you ask me a few years back, then I would say yes. If you ask me now, I have to say the line is getting a bit blurred, and because when we place a pure gender lens, we can see possibly more women may do it. But if you place both cultural background and gender, gender. the、mm-hmm. pictures become really mixed. And I have to say, for example, some of the countries, I think from a gender perspective, actually they are getting quite advanced. I have to call out, for example, China. I was actually joking with the friends this morning, or just saying that I noticed in in China, at least in the organization where I'm working in, actually a lot of female leader are up and rising to the extent that I have seen actually some of the organizations where the full leadership teams are all women, and therefore, and I I notice all those behavior, right? The open shoulder, the head tilted a bit. Upward, and you speak your true voice that align to your true value. That pictures I've seen that in women actually, but less so in men. That's amazing. So then it's so blurred the the pictures. What is、yeah. your thought on this? You know, speaking of China, I have to tell you, every time I went to our Shanghai office at my job, and I came back to Singapore, I suddenly felt more empowered. I don't know why. <laughs> There was something about how vocal they are. And just、yeah. how they have a point of view, and they hold it, they hold their ground,、yeah. and it was just、yeah. very nice to see that. And I always just come back saying, 
no, I don't agree. And I'm not going to change my mind. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And which is okay. <laughs> which is okay. And I think in that, they were loud, but not like screeching loud. Yeah. You will hear what I have to say. You may disagree with yeah. it, but you will hear what I have to say. Yes. And that, for yes. me, every time I went and came back, I just felt very empowered. It was like, oh, this is really, like I draw a lot of strength from whenever I'm around a group of women who are unapologetically assertive right because yeah. right or wrong i have something to say and if it's wrong okay tell me but you got you at least you're gonna hear me first so exactly yeah i thought that is interesting you point out something that i just think is worth thinking whether it's related so the generations that i'm thinking is maybe probably at my age where if my chinese friend at my age actually they go through the single child policy. So what happened to me is they told me at home, now they are at a sandwich class. So what that means is like, you need your parent are getting older. So you need to look after them, but your parent are no longer the one who give you command and tell you things. At the same time, you have your kids and so, right? So you base, but you don't have siblings. So if unfortunately your family, your parent are getting older, getting sick, then you don't have a sibling to discuss with you. So your day-to-day basically is you go back to the me, myself, and I, although I have a partner, but my partner also have their own thing to deal with, right? Yeah. So you are the core person to deal with and manage and make all these decisions. And I believe this version, when you bring it back to the work side, you basically have to rely on your judgment and the firmness actually come from your day-to-day decisions making. Wow. Yeah. You know, thinking about a one child rule, there's just so much you're making me think about that I some of which I knew but never thought about. Like a whole generation growing up as only children. And mm. how tough it can be when you have two aging parents and then you may have yeah. two kids of your own, but in between them, like you said, the sandwich generation, you're by yourself and having to make a decision. Yes. For two people and then, uh, you know, your kids and then two people who are your parents. Like that that whole yeah. thing is really fascinating. Now I want to talk some more. T- just, I'm so, I'm so <laughs> interested in more tips and tricks um, around. Because actually what we've ended up talking about, Adele, is really about communication, right? It's a lot of what we've talked yes. about and how people show up. What is one thing you would say is a mistake in how people communicate like what is one thing that you what is an example of something that you've seen where people think they're communicating one thing but really they're communicating something else unintentionally so if i think yeah. for example about your example of the of the alpha person who's sitting there with their puffed up chest it could also be that they're insecure and trying to overcompensate right so does that sometimes sure. seep through or what are some examples of that you know, I think there are actually there are there are many things to touch on, but but if I really have to call on one, you, because you you use the word mistake and and that is quite a big word, uh, right? So so if I think of the mistake, I have to say I notice a lot of the people. Like, okay, so let's put it this way: as as we observe how human behaves, we tend to want to expect consistency of a human being Mm. what that means is like what you are thinking should be consistent with your facial expression your body language Mm. your tone your loudness of your voice so the mistake that i've noticed for a lot of people is a lot of the time the people are not conveying something that they truly think it is Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. then then go back to you know the 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 point you made about your observation about you noticing in Shanghai right you notice there are a lot of people who who can came up with such a firmness in their voices because they thought through things and this is what they truly believe in yeah yeah and that go back to to this so the mistake and and I was I would I would quote um, a quote that I always love from uh, watching Batman um <laughs> which is um what do you believe in you know, um, so so the I think it's uh, Bruce Wayne always asked um, Alfred, um, "What do you believe in?" Yeah, and this is what is a guiding principle for me. Is um, I hope you know if you're listening. I think in order to make sure we behave consistently, and again, this is really important because human beings are looking for consistent behavior. This gives you credibility. Yep. This gives you authenticity. 
And the more you know what you believe in, the more you are able to convey your message in whatever way. It could be your written thing. It could be your body language. It could be your choice of word. But your beliefs dictate your mindset and your behavior. And therefore, the key call out, again, the mistake is always think about what is your core principle and values. And I believe this could help us in a day-to-day format to behave consistently. Yeah, that, that's a lot to think about. And I think it's fantastic because it forces us to take a position, right? I think a lot of us want to be fence-sitters. And um, I'll speak for myself. Sometimes I don't have enough skin in the game. So I'd rather just sit mm. on the fence, right? But then, yeah. there, but, but then there are times, and, and I think the body language conveys that if you just do, and I know people can't see it, but, you know, this is one of the signs of the shoulder shrug. It's, I could take it or leave it. I'm indifferent. Yeah, whatever. I don't know, whatever. Whatever. But whatever that gesture is, is completely non-committal, right? Essentially, when you shrug your shoulders, it's like, mm, okay, whatever. Yeah. And so th- that's really a lot to think about. And I promise, as you've been talking, I, I have the little, I can see myself on camera, right? So I'm adjusting. I'm like, okay, what am I communicating to Adele now with my body language, with my shoulders off, my <laughs> back? Because even when you change positions, you you feel it, right? I feel a different yeah. way depending on how I'm yeah. carrying myself. Yeah. It's the energy and the wavelengths. And I always believe that, again, go back to the consistency, isn't it? Yeah. It's what energy you are carrying actually send the wavelengths to the people. In the room, maybe there are some people who have the similar waves, then you would feel more connected. Yes. And then, and then the question go back to, if, if we want to avoid mistakes, as soon as we are consistent within ourselves, we convey a really consistent waveform out, mm. and then you can catch the people who resonate to you. Yeah. You know, what you're describing, some people call energy. True. Right? That yes. whole sense of being able to just sit and read a room and read the energy yeah. in the room and the vibe in the room and the essence that people are kind of transmitting back and forth. And we've had some conversations yeah. about this, and it's one of those areas where one of the things I love about just observation over talking is you just learn so much by it listening and is. watching, yes. right? And yeah. I always find that you it feels a bit like you're stealing away from participation because you're not talking as much. But I'd argue listening is such a critical part of participation. It is. It is. There is it so is. much that I've picked up in meetings that no one has said. Just because yes. I'm, I'm just listening and I'm watching and I'm gauging what's going on. And one of the challenges that I face is when we sit again, I hear this in talent review meetings a lot, which is this person is so passive. They don't talk. They don't speak up. And you, 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 you coach people to speak, 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 speak. And I'm thinking when we do that, we undervalue listening. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And it's yeah, such an important point. skill to have, listening, because yeah. people who tend to listen pick up things that everybody else misses. And so this whole yeah. cultural drive towards contributing by voice and talking, 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 I'm like, no, we're, we're missing something really essential here, which is the ability to actively listen and then be yeah. able to translate what you're observing through listening into, into action. What's your sense yeah. of that? But I think you actually bring out a very good point. You're right. A lot of the time when, when we hear, especially in talent review, we always notice, oh, this person, you know, don't speak up. Uh, why don't they speak up? And I think you pointed out something really well. It's not exactly about whether they speak up or not. Because if you have a person 100% speaking up, but nonsense, you know, speaking up nonsense <laughs> is actually better. It's actually useless. So yeah. you pointed out something which is about flexing, I think. Mm-hmm. I think you are a great role model indeed, because you are able there are times that probably you are able to to just sit down there and just observe. Just like, you know, you're watching a movie. Mm. You really let yourself, you know, emerge into a movie. Yes. You know when the movie ends. ends. And when the movie ends, you are able to tell what you have really seen in that movie. Mm-hmm. And I believe going back to the speak up thing is, yes, for those, we want people to speak up, but we want people to speak up with essence and that essence could come from 
you really sit down, deeply listen and observe and share the insight back. And those speak up would be what we treasure the most. Yeah. Adele, this has been, I cannot believe it's almost been an hour. This has been phenomenal. <laughs> I signed up for something else and I got something else in return with 10,000 times better than what I thought I would get. So thank you so much. I have to come back to the show. I have so many questions, but I'm being mindful of your time. I know you have the baby at home and you just carved out your Friday afternoon to talk to me. So thank you so much. Anything else you just want to leave the audience with, whether it's food for thought or perhaps even a tip that they could take with them to work on Monday and they have the whole weekend to practice it and then take it to work on Monday. Yeah, I probably think the best message is being consistent, isn't it? So I would actually go back to maybe a question to everybody to think about. I want us to be aware of our behavior, especially as we show up in the workplace, mm. because that conditioning will really impact how your people uh, will judge you and potentially your career trajectory. So my question would then be, I want you to notice as you sit down in a meeting, I want you to just be aware whether your shoulder blade is rolling front or back, your head, is it tilting upward or backward? And as soon as you are aware that what signal you are sending and that is consistent to what you want to achieve, I think you have done a good job, but I just need you to be mindful about this. That is awesome. So the first step is that just being aware what message you're sending. And the second one yeah. is much more around, is it consistent with the message you intend to send? And it goes back Absolutely. to what you said about that internal, external consistency. Yes. Well, Adele, thank you so much. And you've been a fantastic guest to Mama Talk Talks, a different take. And I wish you a really great weekend. And please, please, please do come back to visit us. I would love to. Thank you very much. Absolutely. Take care. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed our latest episode. Share your thoughts in the comments below or by emailing ab at mamatalktalk.com. Continue the conversation in your homes and communities. And when you join us next week, please invite a friend or many. For more diverse perspectives on everyday issues from everyday people around the globe, please subscribe to our podcast at mamatalktalk.com forward slash a different tape and join our online family by following us on Twitter and Instagram. Until we meet again, I'm your host, Abi Mambo. Sigashina, stay well. <laughs>